Well, good morning, Mosaic. We are really glad that you are here with us this morning. And uh, thanks for sharing some extraordinary days. I look at Jesse and Laura right here, who last Sunday, extraordinary day. Um, their little baby boy, Jack, is born. And um, what a gift to the world Jack is to you guys and to all of us. Let's be praying for Jack, who is still in NICU, right? Born premature, so, but he's doing, doing well, right? Doing good. Okay. Yeah. So let's keep praying for Jack. Um, So Jesse and Laura, we're super excited for you guys. Very exciting. Um, These ordinary days, this ordinary life. Uh, So we're starting a new series this morning. It's ironic that we're starting this new series, This Ordinary Life. Um, Ironic for me uh, because for my wife and I, our oldest child is graduating high school uh, this afternoon. So... um, That really tall kid over there. And yeah, so this is an extraordinary day. It's just, wow, it it feels um, like this monumental kind of thing, just watching this fine young man grow up into the world. And um, But yet you realize, like, before this extraordinary day that we're celebrating today, there was just all of these ordinary days that led to it, right? I mean, just dragging yourself out of bed, eating the same breakfast over and over, going to the same boring classes, the prison of learning. That's one of the phrases that's often thrown around in in our household. No, kids, it's an opportunity. No, Dad, it's a prison of learning. Um, All of those things, you know? But uh, it's just all these ordinary days. And I'm sure in some ways you feel just this ordinary, mundane kind of life that you're drudging through day after day after day. Uh, And it can be frustrating. It can weigh on us. Um, But in the midst of all of that, here's the thing. We live in a world, guys. We live in a world that celebrates the extraordinary, right? I mean, anything that's big and extraordinary, it gets the the news time. It gets the entertainment channels. And so we're constantly looking for the next big extraordinary thing. And I'll be honest with you. I've been around churches long enough to know that churches even buy into this, that we, we start to feel like we have to keep doing these extraordinary things to somehow feed the, the faith that's been born inside of us. Or we feel like we have to do these extraordinary things to somehow get other people to pay attention that, hey, there's this God who loves you, rather than just saying, wait a minute, maybe God is actually much more comfortable with the ordinary and mundane than we are. Maybe God has really settled into the ordinary and the mundane, and if we'll settle into it also, we'll find this this gift of faith, the life of Jesus that, that God instills in us, that truly allows us to live into our full humanity. Um, that's where we're going to be going. Before we do that, I, I want to invite up, guys, Aaron and Megan Loy are here all the way back from Tennessee. Aaron, come on up here. If, if you guys don't know, if you don't know Aaron and Megan, so um, Aaron was the founding pastor of Mosaic. Um, God began to work in Aaron's heart and called him in another direction. And the directional team decided that the next lead pastor um, should not be a bearded, tattooed man because there was, there was too much of that. There was too much of that at Mosaic. 
So they called me a guy who has trouble growing hair and who is probably deathly afraid of a tattoo needle hitting my skin. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Um, but I tell you, you know, for Nicole and I, and when, when we came to Mosaic, uh, you don't know what you're stepping into. Um, and I remember we met Aaron and Megan and just had this sense that, man, this is, uh, God, this is an honor. It's an honor to kind of step into something that um, Aaron stepped into in such a vulnerable, trusting way, this community that started. And uh, so, Aaron, I know you're in Tennessee. You're doing some new things. Can you give us like a two-minute update? Let us know what's going on in your lives. What's, what's going on family life, ministry? Just take a couple minutes and share it with us. We'd love to hear. Sure. Hey, guys. Um, yeah, it, it's, been, it's been, honestly, it's been a really good season and a really hard season. Um, if you were around when we were in the transition phase, like, I know you all knew I would cry, and I knew I would cry, but I didn't know, none of us knew how much we would cry. Um, and it's, it's been the grieve, there's been a grieving process, honestly, because it was, you know, this is never a job. It's family, it's, it's calling, and it's, it's our tribe, you know. And so to step out of that uh, was really difficult, but at our core, we knew that, that God has called us to continue to do this. Um, that this had such an impact on us, and we saw God use it in the lives of so many other people that we knew we just had to be a part of continuing to, to start new communities of faith um, for the disenfranchised and the broken, the beat up and burnt out. And so now my role is essentially uh, working with guys and gals that are doing that um, across nine states. And um, so it's been a lot more traveling, and, and that's been something uh, new. Um, but we're doing really well, for those of you who are wondering. Like, we, how, we love Knoxville, and, and one of the questions I got a lot when we left, I heard this from other pastors and some of you, was, was like, can you really just be okay, like, not personally starting new churches, you know, like, not being, leading the charge in, in that way? And I said, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I can, but I know this is part of the call, God's call on our life, and... Um, so we're excited. This Wednesday, we, are, uh, we bought a home in South Knoxville, and we move. We pull into Knoxville Wednesday, and we close Wednesday and move Wednesday. So this is a last-second trip. Um, but one of the things we haven't gotten to share with very many people uh, is we're loving what we're doing. We're going to continue to keep doing what we're doing. Uh, but we have an overwhelming sense that God's calling us to do this again uh, in South Knoxville. So we're getting ready to plant again. So that's us. That's what we're up to. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. And uh, stay here. Stay here for a second. Um, would you guys join me? Uh, let's just pray for Aaron and Megan and the kids. And uh, God, thank you so much for the Lois, uh, the, the gift that they are to so many of us here at Mosaic. Um, the blood, the sweat, the tears that they poured into um, just seeing this community take shape and form. In, in a community that really welcomes the, the broken, those who feel like they don't have a place, those who maybe feel like God's grace isn't somehow accessible to them. Uh, this is a beautiful community that, that we just say thanks for this family, and we pray that you would continue to bless them. Thanks for uh, the new home that they have, God. We pray that it would be just a wonderful place for them as a family, and uh, just that you would bless them as they continue to uh, come alongside other church planters in various parts of the country. Um, that they would be able to share just their, their wisdom, their heart, their love with those planters. And uh, yeah, and um, God, just even in their own neighborhood that they move into, um, allow them just to share the love of Jesus with people there, we pray. Amen.
Most days are just really ordinary. They're really mundane. Uh, there's, there's a story that's told in, in Jewish literature, and most of us know the guy Moses, right? And Moses, he's walking around, and um, he happens to notice a bush that's on fire, which for those of us in our modern Western civilization, we're like, whoa, bush on fire, you know? So that's why Moses went over there. But in the, in the Jewish tradition, it's not so much... Um, the bush being on fire in the middle of a hot desert wasn't an abnormal thing. It was actually a very common, ordinary thing. What's extraordinary about the story is not the bush being on fire, but it's the fact that Moses actually took off his sandals and in that moment, that very ordinary moment in the desert, realized that there was something extraordinary that was happening. There was something kind of in his soul that was stirring and it's there that God calls him and says, hey, I'm going to ask you to lead and kind of... You're going to go into this movement, and man, you're going to have to really trust me. Um, and you're going to feel like you're not equipped for this. Um, and it's going, to, it's going to stretch you. It's going to be difficult. Um, and so it's in these ordinary moments that, that actually God is settling in there and saying, come join me, be present in these very ordinary moments. You know, and so whatever it is for you in life right now, maybe it's just going to work day after day after day. Maybe it's constantly changing diapers. Uh, maybe it's just being frustrated, sitting in traffic. Maybe it's continually just being in these spats with your spouse and you're trying to make it work out and it just feels like it's not working out. Maybe it's just another week at the, the grind of just trying to figure out the financial situation. And, and it's just kind of ordinary and it's mundane. Um, but God is settling in there. He's present in there, and he's calling you to, hey, be present in all of this, in your sleeping, in your waking, in all of these ordinary things that you do, because I'm doing something. Uh, Andy Crouch, who is a kind of a writer, a cultural observer, he was, uh, I believe, the head editor of the magazine Christianity Today um, back in the day. He, he writes this. The quote will be up here on the screen, I do believe. Yet all of this is far from ordinary. Our bodies, our pleasures, our fears, our fatigue, our friendships, our fights. These are in fact the stuff of our formation and transformation into the frail but infinitely dignified creatures we were meant to be and shall become. Our moments of exaltation and our stifled yawns, somehow they go together part of the whole life that we are meant to offer to God day by day, as well as Sunday by Sunday, the life that God has taken into his own life. Beautiful, I love it. Our lives taken into God's own life. It is the life that Christ himself has assumed and thus rescued and redeemed. Uh, just a beautiful kind of reframing of all of the ordinary things that we face right before us. Um, before we go any further, now, that's kind of on, a, on an individual level. All of these normal things that we go through, there's something extraordinary happening there. Um, but then let's think about this on a, on a larger level, too. What, what keeps us from experiencing kind of the presence of the divine in the very ordinary things that we do? Um, if you were to ask people this question, what's the problem with the decline of faith in Western civilization? Um, generally, what you might hear is, well, we've, we've subtracted things from our culture. So what you might hear is, um, we've taken prayers out of school. That's the problem. 
Um, we've taken away the Ten Commandments from public places. That's the problem. Um, we've taken away um, Wednesday night church service, right? And we've taken away Sunday night church service. And we've taken away all of these things. And so the, most people would say the, the problem is, the reason for the decline of faith is, is it's a subtraction problem. We've taken away things. And then so what happens is, is churches then tend to deal with this by then adding more things to people's lives, but we, but we have to add kind of things with a wow factor, right? And so churches get caught up in like, how do we wow ourselves and how do we wow people? Because if we can have these extraordinary God encounters, maybe our faith will somehow come alive. And so we love it when a preacher, we love it when a preacher can get up and like wow us. Because it's like, oh man, yeah, somehow my faith comes alive. Or like if a worship band gets up, right? Or the, or the fog machines go on and the stage lights go on. Whoa, wow, Holy Spirit, somehow you're here, you're working in, and we're like drawn into this environment, right? Or like we, we got to add this element of programming, this element of programming, this element of programming. And there's a lot of people, a lot of thought leaders, a lot of, a lot of ministers in the church who are thinking very deeply about these things, myself and Bill being two of those people along with your directional team. And we're saying, the problem isn't so much, and, and there's a beautiful work that has been written by this guy who's been observing culture within the church for the last probably 30, 40 years, Charles Taylor, and he's written this magnificent work. You bore yourself reading it, um, but it's called This Secular Age, and through all of his work, Charles Taylor looks at this and says, the problem is not subtraction. The problem is addition, and this is true for both the, the secular realm and the sacred realm. We've actually added so much to our lives that we have layers of buffers between us and the divine. So, for instance, in the secular realm, like, if, look, if I can get a good job and get into a stable community and pay my bills and do all of those adult things, kind of grow up and be independent, what's happened? I've added all of these layers to my life, these layers of independence, that now I have this buffer between myself and the divine. Does that make sense? Or then in the, in the, in the sacred realm, we can add so many layers that we can, we can have these fantastic celebrity personality preachers who, who somehow wow the masses, and we can have this amazing Christian subculture of like kind of worship music and everything else. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that that doesn't serve a good purpose, so please don't misread me. What I'm saying is we need to think critically about the days that we're living in and how this is shaping us as a people because we can become dependent on these things and now we, we're constantly, even in our Christian life, looking for the next extraordinary kind of wow factor, that next book, that next conference, that next, that next message, that next bit of wisdom that someone's going to, oh, look at that Bible insight. Isn't that great? I mean, how many Bible insights do we need, but we still struggle with loving the people who are in our house every day? See, the problem is, is that we've added so many layers, both in the secular and sacred realms, that we're missing out on the opportunity to interact with the divine that's present with us in the mundane and ordinary moments of every day, in Sunday after Sunday. Sometimes I feel like, as a pastor, sometimes I feel like Facebooking out on a Saturday night. Hey, everyone, hope to see you at church tomorrow. It probably won't be all that extraordinary. <laughs> It'll be a lot of the same normal people that you meet every Sunday. 
Um, it'll be a lot of the same songs that we sing week after week, and it'll probably be me or Bill sharing a message with you. But you know what? I'm okay with that because in the midst of that ordinary, something beautiful is there. Something beautiful is there. God settles into that ordinary. And as we begin to pay attention to it and begin to settle into that, we discover that, that actually this life of Christ, this gift of faith, this gift of rescue, this gift of salvation, somehow meets us and, and takes us to that, to that next place. Um, so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be um, going through all kinds of normal, everyday, ordinary, mundane elements of our day. Um, in the coming weeks in saying how how is the divine meeting us and shaping us and gifting us the life of Jesus gifting us a more full humanity um, as we settle into the ordinary the psalmist in Psalm 16 he writes these words verses 8 and 9 I keep my eyes always on the Lord I keep my eyes always on the Lord With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. And I love that. I always place the Lord before me. In every situation, you know, walking into the most mundane, boring, ordinary things, but I keep the Lord before me. And my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body rests secure. Mosaic, are our hearts glad this morning? When you think about just the, the, the daily struggle in front of you, does it gladden your heart? Can, can your tongue rejoice? Can your body rest secure in the midst of all of that? Um, these ordinary days, these ordinary days, God, give us today our daily chores. Go ahead, give them to us. We're ready for them. Um... So briefly this morning, it seemed like a good place to start, strategically, but also it's Memorial Day weekend, kind of the official, unofficial start of summer. Um, and it tends to be kind of like, ah, oh, a season of rest, hopefully, in front of us. You know, maybe the schedule loosens up a little bit, you know. Teachers in Lincoln are like, yes, it's finally here, summer. I can see Amy already, her face out there, yes! Um, we're going to start with kind of um, just that ordinary part of our day. It's called nighttime. And going to bed. Some of you are like, yes, I love going to bed. Those of you who are young parents, you're like, don't you dare talk to me about bedtime right now. Um, Don't do it, Kurt. Um, But we're going to talk about those ordinary moments of leading into the night. Um, And strategically, we do this because in Genesis 1, there's this, um, Genesis 1, it's Hebrew poetry. It's a beautiful piece of, of poetry. And there's this line that's repeated over and over again. And, um, and the line is this, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And then later on in, in verse, or chapter 1, it's, and then there was evening and then there was morning the second day. And there was evening and there was morning the third day and the fourth day and the fifth day. And so the, this pattern of and there was evening and there was morning. Now, notice what's happening there, right? So the days are being defined as first there was evening and then there was morning. So, of course, those of us, you know, here in Western civilization, new day begins when we wake up, right? Because it's all about what we can do, what we can bring, how we can get out and change the world. Which, yeah, there's a truth to that. But yet in God's day, um, the day actually begins in the evening hours as the sun goes down. 
The day doesn't depend on what you and I can do. The day doesn't depend on how we white-knuckle things to bring about the results that we want to see brought about. The day begins with an opportunity to begin to settle into rest. Um, that's a beautiful invitation. An ordinary, mundane thing that we engage in every day, hopefully. Some of us may be easier than others, but wherever you're at, we hope that somehow you, you can discover the grace that's, that's available to you in the evening hours as you begin to realize, like, God is inviting me through these minutes, these hours of the evening, into a place of rest, releasing control, learning how to just give thanks for what's before me. Um, maybe just realizing that the day and my identity isn't dependent on what I accomplished that day or what I didn't accomplish or how people noticed me or how people didn't notice me. But everything is being held together by this creator who deeply loves us, who invites us to rest. Um, our days, a few things, the first one being our days are blessed with an opportunity to enter into rest. And, and rest takes practice, Mosaic, just like restlessness takes practice. There may be some of us who we get to the evening hours and we feel the restlessness start to build within us. And there's patterns of restlessness that we've allowed to develop. And so in order to counteract those, we need to enter into patterns of actually rest because both of those things take practice, both rest and restlessness. And, and the habits that we engage in will form us over time. They'll form us over time. Um, and so the second thing I want us to realize after our days are blessed with an opportunity to enter rest is this. Disordered sleep reveals a disordered love. Okay? Disordered sleep or even a disordered entrance into sleep reveals a disordered love. Idols of entertainment or consumption. Idols of productivity. Idols of comfort. Idols of control. Um, and sometimes we live with this sense that like, oh man, nighttime is here and like I still, there's still things that I need to get done. I need to get this done. I need to get this done, right? And, and we can discover in those evening hours as we kind of stop and look at the, the practices that have formed us over time, maybe some of us might just need to realize like, I have this idol of productivity. Or some of us might realize that, man, it seems like as the nighttime hours come, it's difficult for me to sleep, and I just can't turn my mind off because I'm constantly thinking about things. And, and maybe that can be just a, an open window into maybe there's an idol of control. And somehow this idol, we've given it somehow a power over our life, and, and God is giving us a new invitation. Uh, maybe for some of us, oh, man, I mean, like, we just can't shut down the Netflix, Right? Like, we, we just got to keep going and going and going because there is so much to take in and consume. And so for some of us, we might realize, like, we have this idol of consumption. Or some of us, maybe, like, we just can't stop eating, you know? Like, we, we struggle and, like, man, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, just give it to me, you know? Like, feed me more, you know? And, and it, it, that was a struggle in my life for so long. And I realized, like, I had this idol of, of comfort that was at work in my life. Maybe for some of us, um, enjoying um, something that can be used as a source of enjoyment, it's actually something that's taking over our life because we just can't put it down at night. Somehow this, this becomes something that we depend on. 
Um, nighttime is, is where the monsters live, right? When the dark settles in, it's where the monsters live. I remember as a young kid, um, growing up in Toledo, Ohio, there was this attic stairwell next to my bed. Oof. Um, it's like, I just had a sense. My brother's here, actually, he's laughing because we shared a room for a little while. You know that door, right, Bobby? My bed was like right there, you know? You'd think my big brother would take the bed next to the attic door, but he didn't, you know? I don't know how I ended up with it. But there's a sense of like, oh my gosh, there's got to be something on the other side of that door. But, you know, the older we get, we realize like the monsters, they just take on a different form, right? All those things that we worry about, all those things that we stir over. Um, those monsters take on a different form. Disordered sleep, it, it can reveal a disordered love, idols of entertainment, consumption, productivity, comfort, and control. The psalmist in Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2, writes this, Unless the Lord builds the house. Notice the word Lord there is capitalized. Anytime you see that um, in the, the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, um, it's referencing the name Yahweh, uh, which was the name specifically given to Moses when, when God had called Moses. And, and God is going to become this God who is going to become a God of rescue. God delights rescuing his people who are enslaved in foreign powers that keep them from being all that they're called to be. And so anytime you see that, that Lord capitalized like that, it's, it's that name Yahweh, that name that this is a God who loves to rescue people, guys. He loves to rescue us. And so maybe you feel in some way, even in the slightest way, maybe in some big way that you are like just, you're just kind of enslaved to this power that's over you and you're like, I just can't kick it. I want to be free from this and I can't. And guys, Sometimes rescue can happen in a moment, in a miracle kind of way, but a lot of people that I rub shoulders with, the more I talk to them, they're realizing that, you know what, a lot of times rescue comes as I learn to participate with habits of rest over time, as I begin to grow habits of trust, new routines in my life, finding a community of people that I get together with on a regular basis to say, who is this God? Where is this God taking us? Unless the Lord builds the house, the, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand and watch in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. And maybe let's just put a, a parenthesis around that, you know, food to eat. Um, I, I don't know. This is, of course, written to a, an agrarian culture, you know, who, who really had to work for their food. So we have to kind of reframe this and say, what does this mean for us as people living in the 21st century? What's the food that you're craving now? Is it control? Is it certainty? Is it comfort? Is it entertainment? Is it just, I, I need to know what's going on in everybody's life, so I have to be on social media, even in the, you know, as the nighttime hours approach? Which, guys, we have to start asking these hard questions. How do these practices shape us over time and destroy us as people as they enslave us? You know? Instead, what does it mean to enter into these ordinary mundane nighttime hours and just begin to say, I don't know what it's going to look like for you. I know what it's beginning to look like for me to, to become a person of rest, entering into God's rest. Um, because entrance into sleep is an opportunity to come back home to love. To come back home to love. To come back home to that place that, God, my life is yours. This life is not mine. I can't control it. I can't control other people. I can't 
know what's going to happen down the road, right? We talked about this. We went through Ecclesiastes the last couple weeks. Everything is, is meaningless, but the word meaningless there, everything is havel. Everything is vapor. Everything is like smoke. You can see it, and it's there for a moment, but then if you try to grab it and control it, you can't. All you can do is just enjoy what's right before you. It's an opportunity to come back home to love, that there's this God who is, who is sustaining you in love, that regardless of what happens, this is the place that you're called to live. Entrance into sleep is a, is a confession that we have limits. Uh, there was a Sprint commercial back a, a few years ago. I never knew that Sprint was so punk rock. Um, it proclaimed, I want, no, 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 I have the right to be unlimited. I want, no, I have the right to become unlimited. Sprint, you're so punk rock. Yeah, you speak to the rebel in each of us. Um, But we have limits, guys. As creatures of the creator, we embrace our limits. I I can't produce everything I want to produce. I can't control everything I want to control. I can't consume everything that I wish I could consume. I can't. I can't. Um, in 2013, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention declared insufficient sleep is a public health problem. Insufficient sleep is a, is a public health problem. Wendell Berry, uh, he's a fabulous um, poet, uh, Christian thinker. He wrote this. He says, it is easy to imagine that the next great division of the world will be between people who wish to live as creatures and people who wish to live as machines. The next great division of the world will be between people who wish to live as creatures and people who wish to live as machines. Um, entrance into sleep is a, is a small taste of the big sleep. And this is actually a, um, this is a, real, a real thing that, that a lot of people struggle with, and it's okay. Um, entrance into sleep is a small taste of the big sleep, death. Um, the number of people who, it, it's hard to kind of just allow yourself to just kind of go off into this kind of semi-unconscious thing because there's, there can be a real fear of, well, am I, am I going to wake up? You know, it's, as hard as it is, this is probably the best news you're getting all week. Like, this, this life, as we know it now, doesn't continue forever. And, and that's it's actually good news because God is actually doing something even greater beyond in the age to come. And so every time we enter into sleep, we remind ourselves that ultimately this is just further preparation for entering into the big sleep that's to come. But ultimately, it's that big sleep that's going to usher me into this beautiful age to come that God is going to birth. Psalm chapter 3, third Psalm, verse 5. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. Notice the word, the name Lord capitalized again. This God of rescue, right? It's an opportunity to just allow myself to drift off into that unconscious state, but this God of rescue who loves me will raise me up again. And 
in, in some more traditional kind of churches within their, their church liturgy, they'll recite this phrase together. Uh, we lay down in death. We wake again because the Lord is risen indeed. So there's, there's beautiful shaping of our heart and soul and bodies that's going on if we're willing to enter into the regular, everyday, nighttime routine of just slowing the body down. God is there meeting us, showing us extraordinary things. And perhaps the last one is this. Entrance into sleep is an invitation to know God's grace. Mosaic, you know, as much as we we know this, we need to know it even more, that God's love is not dependent on what we have done, what we haven't done. God's love isn't dependent on how we've performed. Um, God's love is there. Um, And it's, it's, it's not about how we perform. It's not because we chanted some magical prayer when we were a kid or, or did something for God, you know, that somehow pleased him. Um, it's just because God's love is present there and it's an invitation for us to just come st- step into this. Step into this. That's what the idea of repentance in, in Hebrew thought, it's, it's just coming back home. Coming back home to love, to grace. That this has nothing to do with with how you've done or haven't done during the day. So even if you find yourself at night, like the last thing we want you to do is go home now, and if you're struggling at the nighttime hours, like, oh my gosh, now i got to figure out how to get this sleep thing right. Like, don't, please, don't do that. Okay? We don't, we don't want you to do that. What we would like you to do is begin to perhaps target what are some practices that are happening in my nighttime hours where the day begins that are actually perhaps forming me into a restless person? What are some idols that might be revealing themselves in my life because of my practices? And how can I, over time, begin to change these practices that I find myself becoming more of a healthy, whole human being? That I actually find myself becoming a person of rest, that actually, much like Wendell Berry said, as people continue to strive to just, machine, man, look at me, look at all that I can do. I can work and make six figures, and I can run a marathon and raise four kids at the same time. Wow, you know, and like, applaud, yay. And hey, if that's you, that's great. Wow, I wish I could be superhuman like that. Um, but for a lot of us, like, what, what are the limits? What are the things that we're going to embrace, the new practices that are going to invite us into these summer, some of these opportunities before us? Uh, is it a prayer? Is it a prayer? For me, um, praying prayers of people who have come long before me um, is a practice of mine. And those practices have helped shape me because I've noticed that a lot of my praying actually is filled with anxious prayers. Well, what is that? Um, So instead, I can grab a hold of the words of others, one being Julian of Norwich. Um, Do I have it up here on the screen? I'm not sure. Um, I know it's on your handouts. Uh, All shall be well. All shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. You know, and just maybe that becomes a prayer that you just recite. God, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And, And as you recite that, or maybe there's other prayers out there that just, you know, begin to kind of shape you and form you over time. 
Um, maybe it's turning off the devices. That could be the most effective thing that you could do right now to enter into the mundane, ordinary act of sleeping and allow it to be a gift. Just turn off the devices. Um, entering into gratitude, you know, just developing a pattern of like during the nighttime hours, whether it's individually or maybe with people in my family or whatever, I'm just going to look to just, I'm just going to go through my day and just give gratitude for the many small things I've encountered. Um, maybe it's entering silence in a world of noise and you're just going to look to craft environments where you could actually just be silent, uh, where you can stop, where you can rest. And uh, Mosaic, I believe that um, God will meet you there. Uh, the, the risen Jesus, um, Jesus who is Lord, he will meet you in that place and he will begin to gift you his life. Um, and as he gifts you his life, you'll find yourself experiencing a, a humanity that is like, wow, this is good. This is good. And then, and then you'll get to share that with others around you, right? Because the more person of rest that you become, the more your life becomes generative for others around you. Um, and that's what our community is all about, right? Being a generative community for others. So, God, give us, give us today our daily chores. Um, God, help us to embrace the routines, um, believing that, that you, the divine, are present in that. And um, this morning we invite you as we uh, enter into our closing song together. Um, Landon's going to come and lead us, and uh, I believe it's a new song that we're going to do here, Christ Be All Around Me. It's actually a song that was based on uh, the prayer of St. Francis of, um, not St. Francis, sorry, St. Patrick. Um, St. Patrick was uh, um, St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick was um, taken from his home in Ireland as a young boy, um, taken to Britain where he was made a slave, and eventually um, escaped, released, went back to Ireland, and rather than becoming a, a bitter person, a person of revenge, um, actually ended up going back to Great Britain um, to be a missionary, to share Christ's love with people. And the prayer of St. Patrick is all about just, God, in every aspect of my day, would you be all around, uh, all around me? Would you be before me, behind me, beside me, in every eye that sees me? Um, so we'll sing that song together. And we invite you, if, if you're here, and you're saying, yes, I'm, I'm responding to Jesus. Maybe for the first time, maybe you've been responding to Jesus for years, saying, yes, Jesus, you, you are my life, you are my salvation. We invite you to come to these tables right here. Um, we take the bread, and we dip it into the cup, and as you return to your seat, you can eat that. And it's a very tangible reminder of the way that Jesus, um, on the night that he was with his disciples, right, he broke bread and he gave thanks. He said, this is my body which is given for you. And then he poured a cup, and he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood, which is for you, for the forgiveness of sin. A tangible reminder that we are children of God, invited into rest, to blessing, to rescue, to salvation. Um, so when you're ready, um, come forward, and uh, we'll sing this song together.